So uh, welcome. <laughs> I hope the audio quality is up to our usual standard because we came out of the gates hard when we started the podcast last year. We just literally came at it face first, and uh, yeah. the audio quality has been high. So we actually bought an extra mic just so during segregation, during the lockdown, um, we yeah. could just keep it high. Uh, we are not a fan of making shit stuff, but this is as good as we can no. get. And uh, Fitz is happy with it. Um, if just as a tip, if you ever make your own podcast, you'll never be able to listen to your own voice. So you'll just have to take other people's words for it if the podcast is good. Uh, sometimes you'll lull yourself you'll into You'll never be able to listen to your own voice without being extremely annoyed by the sound of your own voice. You'll always think you're talking too much, even though it's you and one other person on the podcast. But that doesn't that doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. What does matter yeah, is your own yeah, voice yeah. is grating. And uh, I've got to say, mics are pretty accurate by the sounds of things. Uh, the voice in your own head is not yeah. accurate. But if you get a really good mic... No. The voice in your own head makes no fucking sense when you listen to the recording. Because mm-hmm. when I hear you on the recording, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what Garf sounds mm-hmm. like. And then when I hear myself in the recording, I'm like, oh, there's a fucking eight-year-old <laughs> girl in my body and she's talking to me. But like, i like, what the fuck? Who did this podcast? This can't have been me. But it's only the fact that we're on like nearly episode 50 now that um, I'm like, that is my voice. Um, and now I realize yeah. why people say it's soothing because we both sound like we're on a little bit of ketamine as opposed to yeah, the usual amount of ketamine like. but uh, <laughs> so hopefully uh, what are we doing this podcast on Gerf? so I'll just I'll just finish what I started there Fitz I suppose thanks for interrupting me you're always doing this I'm fucking jeez oh I'm glad God. you're not I'm glad you're not here right now I'm joking but I'm just going to say like that once <laughs> once the lockdown in Ireland is over uh, we'll be back to normal uh, it's looking like another week or two here at least um, we'll see what happens so you is that is that um I'm going to be fucking locked by the time this podcast. What do you is drink? Over. Are you drinking wine as well? Yeah, having wine with the family. A few cans of cider, and then I was having wine with dinner. So, uh, so yeah. How many cans of cider? Yeah, just a few. Are you mouldy? No, no, I'm not. I'm literally not. I started drinking 15 minutes ago. So you are mouldy. Your lack of ability to set up microphones on your own has led me to start drinking. Wine. Listen, right, buddy. <laughs> There is some, um, <laughs> there is, um, look, look, we're good at some things and others are good at other things. Look, oh. you have skills that are very, very valuable to this company yeah. and just setting up audio equipment isn't one of them. But the I don't pretend it is, like. No, you know. it's the same way I don't pretend that I enjoy training or weightlifting or anything to do with strength training in general. Don't tell them that. But like, but like, what's wrong with the fact <laughs> that I said I tape it to the boom arm, like, you know? Yeah, like you, you literally use sellotape to to fix a brand new microphone to a brand new microphone stand and then we spent 20 minutes trying to get you to figure out how to turn the volume up look normally so you didn't deafen yourself normally but I like we fixing could hear things. you on air like, I normally enjoy fixing things but this is not one of those things yeah it's just audio things don't agree with you no I feel like when it's to do with work I just let, let it go like I feel like that's your job so <laughs> my brain is just giving in so just before it's wait, 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 in it, sport they actually call that social loafing um, just letting social loathing. So it's it's like uh, say if I'm playing a game and one of my teammates gets sent off, the other team will have a decrease in performance, and my team will have an increase in performance. So that's why a lot of the time, like if you take rugby as an example, when there's a yellow card, yep. and you'll have a sin bidding. Yeah. The very like the the psychological phenomenon that tends to happen there is social loathing. So. People on the team who now have an extra person feel a, a lesser responsibility to do their job. And people on my team will then have an increased responsibility or a, a perceived increased responsibility to do their job. That's why you often see an increase in performance when there's a player sent off from a team. Oh, very interesting. That's I, I feel like we've all experienced that. Yeah, <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely if you're a two-man team trying to run an international company, um, you definitely just give up on something. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we're both aware of what we each other <laughs> give up on um, Rory's asked me about this and he's like just like how does it work with stuff and I was just like no one really runs the company we just do the jobs we ended up doing no um, and if it's like if I if I need you to do something I'll just be like oh Garf have you done this yeah. and then you'll do it and then if you need me to do something you'll just send me like screenshots yeah. of like uh, sort, sort these there by tomorrow okay <laughs> I was like, I was like, no one runs the company, but we would all do the jobs. We're not sure who the the CEO is there, but we haven't met him yet. 
but uh yeah yeah like there there's a managing director uh who kind of lives in both of our brains yeah. and he's not our friend uh thank god he's there speaking, speaking <laughs> of Sika, we were secret press or Sika express has been released today um we were kind of going to yeah. hold off on it but then people kept asking about it because we'd announced we we're going to do it because obviously we release we're going to release a few weeks ago pre pre-gym crash basically i suppose in, in our little world yeah it's the gym just gone to shit uh, a lot of people don't have their own stuff and for many of the other coaches i've talked to not a lot of people had their own gym at home uh yeah i'd say close to 90 percent of people didn't have anything i think home gyms were actually at their highest in like the crossfit world i feel anyway like or maybe proportionally they were at their highest maybe four or five years ago 100 percent. because you had a load of people who used train at home yeah and then there because there wasn't like big crossfit boxes everywhere yeah. and the ones that were around the place tended to be like extortionately expensive yeah Whereas I think with the increase in, in like box availability and like all these other strength and conditioning gyms that are really fucking good yeah. and really competitive and have great coaching. Yeah. Well, obviously we have, we have a huge increase in the amount of people training. Yeah. Uh, but I think if you knew if you knew 10 guys crossfitting back in 2012, yeah. guaranteed maybe six or eight of those would have their own gym. But you're a, lot, a lot of CrossFit gyms started in, in someone's garage, like Tom Dumphy from Waterford. He was saying yeah. that's a, <clears throat> he started. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, also, it, so obviously as gyms have gotten cheaper and there's more gyms available, there's just no reason to have your own stuff. But like I was saying, when I started weightlifting uh, nearly, no. I started lifting, I suppose, when I was 16. So 10 years, over 10 years ago, uh, there was like, yeah, there was the GAA gym and then there was probably some gym in Cork, I'd imagine <laughs> UCC or something. And then there was yeah. probably it until like UL. And then uh, CrossFit Mallow was the thing actually when I started weightlifting. So there was like three gyms in Munster with bumpers. Three gyms. Now there's probably about fucking... Yeah. A fucking 100 gyms of bumpers in Munster. 80. Easily. Yeah. Like. And then how many people have like... So having your own stuff was uh, was vital. I actually got very lucky. My brother just bought me a set of bumpers from Strength Shop. And then a 32 mil bar came with that. And it wasn't even... A, calling it a bushing bar let alone a bearing bar was generous and uh, <laughs> guess what I did Fitz? they were those bears I was the same like my first bear had the allen key in the end of it like yeah, yeah. and you just fucking screw it in oh non-stop and the allen key was just big enough that you get your thumb like yeah. into the allen key and fucking wrench it around mine wasn't even an allen key it was a bolt it was just a straight up bolt like the, the head of a nut was the end of it like so you needed a socket to tighten it and uh, routinely as you were snatching and cleaning <laughs> um, it would just eventually roll off like you know so it would be coming out but um, yeah, yeah, like that didn't stop fucking eighteen-year-old Garth doing it. Really, um, can't stop, won't stop this podcast. Um, can't stop. Yeah, I didn't really want to, I suppose. And now that was just always the back of my mind <laughs> and your mind too. I'd imagine and once you have your own home gym ever, it's just not something you can let go of. Like it's not. No, absolutely not. It's not like something. It's that kind of thing that is like. It's always there forever now. Yeah. You can't not have it anymore. Like it's like, and it doesn't matter if you don't use like it doesn't matter if you never use it again. Yeah, yeah. You're never ever going to get rid of that equipment. Oh, I've gone through months where I haven't used my own stuff. But then it's nice and then there's yeah. months where I only want to use it. Do you know what it's like? It's like a crossfitter moves to weightlifting. You can never take the crossfitter out of the weightlifter. <laughs> you there's always with us what I a quick wad like, you know, just a quick little Yeah. Oh, oh my legs are really tired. Why? Oh, I just uh I did a few, someone talked me into doing Murph. You know, it was Paddy's day there, and and yeah. the lads were doing it in the gym, and I just, I just thought I'd do it because I never did it with a forty-five pound weight of vest before. Do you know the only weightlifter who was who can ever do that is a retired Olympian. That's who. Yeah, that's the only time acceptable for a weightlifter yeah, just yeah. to fall into a what? Never. <laughs> Basically, never. Yeah. Um. Uh, sometimes you see Gaby Pool. What are we doing this podcast on? We're just doing Q and A. Gaby Pools can do what he wants. Do what he wants. You see him lifting in his apartment. Yeah, so 130 kilo, uh, no footsies, snatch double. I ordered a pair of Adidas um, slides just to see if I can do more than them. Oh my God. Look, I'm nothing if competitive. Uh, and I think it's funny. Having lived with basketballers for like fucking three or four years, yeah. I just I just have no I have no respect on slides. Like, well, I won't be wearing socks. Like like like. <sighs> what slides are like, right, yeah. is you have like the fucking stud athlete. And that's the pair of Crocs. And then the slides are like his fucking spasticated baby brother who can't kick a football. So that's what they're like. Wait, what are you saying? Like the, that's a, which, is you, which is the star athlete to you? Crocs. Crocs all fucking day. No. Crocs. 
No, no, no. no, no, no. Stop a second. I, I don't no, no, even no. care. Put those witch fingers away. Garf. Put the, Wits, I'm you, not putting my hand in. You anyway. can't see this now, but Fitz says he's witch fingers, right? Uh, Fitz has abnormally long fingers. Crocs. Crocs are for holidays Crocs. and holidays only. Would you stop? Crocs are the most utilitarian piece of footwear you'll ever come across in your life. Uh, I'd go to fucking war in a pair of Crocs. You can put up the four wheel drive in the back. If you're you walking know? down the street with. If you're walking down the street in a pair of fucking Crocs yeah. and you're with your parents mm-hmm. and somebody comes at your fucking mother to steal her handbag. Yeah, you're Batman. You get those Crocs on, girl. Yeah. If you've those Crocs yeah, on, yeah. you're going to you fucking run away faster than slip that like back strap up. You're going to fucking run after your man to get your man's handbag back. Throw on your if you're there in a pair of slides, he'll be, he'll be robbing your <laughs> he'll be robbing your fucking handbag. <laughs> I, just, no. I just have no respect There's for something slides. something inherently athletic about someone wearing slides. If you ever go, like, at wave conditions, that's all people are walking around the hotel in. No matter what weather, it could be minus 4,000 yeah. degrees outside. And people are just walking around in slides. Yep. It doesn't matter. Look, all all athletes wear them. It doesn't mean they're good. I'm... Right, we're just going to have to get on with the podcast now before this gets... Like, before this company's over. Uh, so, obviously, our much-neglected patrons... we so done! We've uh, 23 patrons at the moment. Uh, so, basically, we made no... Pro- we I did put this in our, like, little... um. Our manifesto on Patreon was that we would neglect you routinely and there would be no extra benefits. It's just if you want to support the podcast, you can <laughs> become a Patreon. We, um, what we do do is form checks once a month because people keep asking about form checks and we don't want to charge for just a form check without being on a program. And so we said we do form checks and it's a good place to get some Q&As. And so anyone on the Patreon gets preference to Q&As. Uh, we also don't yeah. have sponsors and we've kind of talked on enough about sponsors, but... I think we're always a little bit reluctant when push comes to shove to actually have a sponsor because like the podcast it would want to be a very applicable sponsor uh, that we really agree with their product or their service well look I'm just holding out for fucking um, Smitten Western or something like that to be honest <laughs> uh, maybe like some German six hour maybe they'd be the base yeah imagine a little fucking six hour t-shirt with a Sika on one side of it mm. yeah it'd be very nice uh, I'd like I'd like a Seiko sponsorship as well. That'd be quite good. Wait, um, the dog or the actual company? No, the the actual company Seiko's uh, income is actually quite low at the moment because she's working from home. Oh jeez. <laughs> um, so we have a question from our. So we have a couple of lads posted some videos. I put up a Q and A and a video form check and one post. I'm actually I'm actually just going to look at them there now on my desktop. Oh, you and the Patreon. So we have a James O'Brien. Thank you for yeah. being a stag or a slash doe. I, I assume I can assume James is gender and say he's a stag. That's what I call yeah. them, the Patreons. So you get like, you can call them things. And I felt fitting stags are those. Uh, I didn't want to yeah. call everyone a stag because I think the girls may or may not have been. Who knows? So his question is, who knows? what do you think of club slash team rivalries, rivalry, rivalries, Jesus Christ, in barbell sports? He says, I'm coming from a perspective of powerlifting here, uh, IPF, Irish Powerlifting Federation. And there's a really healthy rivalry yeah. between the main clubs, ABS, uh, Great Gym by all accounts, our ABS, Powerlifting, Strength Militia. Mm, don't think I've heard of them. City Gym. Way City Gym. Hey, up the fucking boys. Shout out to the most awkward man in Ireland, Arthur. Absolutely. We must have Arthur on, actually, when this is all over. I know <laughs> we've been saying that for a long time, but we really must. Arthur's had it. We've on the lowest podcast is Arthur's from City Gym. We've been on that twice, actually. Yeah. Uh, the first one was terrible, but the second one got a lot better. So he said recently... Yeah. I think we just got a lot better at speaking into microphones. Absolutely. Like, we weren't serial killers anymore. Well, in in the open. Yeah. So recently, there's been newer <laughs> clubs popping up who seem to be bringing in a great level of um, animosity. The part of things specifically. Do you see that in weightlifting or CrossFit? While there is, of course, great utility in having adversaries, do you think it's healthy for sports and the athletes? I uh before I, Fitz comes I in here with some I actually have quite strong views on bullshit this bullshit now right before he comes in with some nonsense come out of sideways like a fucking flipping a pancake fucking coming out as messy like I'm just gonna say I think it's a great thing I don't think it's ever a bad thing like if you look at Westside if you ever listen to uh, Louis Simmons talking he's uh he always talks about like how like even in inter gym rivalry they had like just literally like cutthroat like nearly killing each other like routinely fighting with each other yeah um yeah. I'm currently uh, doing a very, very long-form interview with Gabriel uh, for our LinkedIn articles. It's dissecting an Olympian. Uh, I have a couple of... We've done one phone call already, which is about two hours, and I'd say we've at least another two sessions to go, uh, just taking a look at these methodologies, but also just Gabriel Poodles himself, because he's, um, he's quite the character. He's a, 
interesting cat. But he was talking about when he was 17, right? That they were in a club with a lot of other young lifters, juniors. And he said it was like the coach is always holding them back because they always wanted to beat each other all the time. And he said it's he like he specifically called out to how useful that was and how much rival there was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My view on it is rivalry is extremely useful. Yeah. And rivalry between people on the same team is extremely useful. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Because I've a kind of not. I don't have any person like I understand or I've seen a lot of the posts or I've seen a lot of the comments. Oh, is there I've drama? Been involved in the conversation. Spill the hot tea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you spill it on here. Or you tell me later. I'll tell you later. Is it juicy? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. It oh, is, is it? Uh, Why haven't you so, told me about this? Because, go right, anyway. Go on anyway. Uh, before you lose your mind, I've been, like, I've, you heard, know I love I've gossip, been privy like, to these conversations. You know I love it. I've been privy to these conversations. Yeah. Uh, I've been the fly on the wall in gyms where people are talking about them. Mm-hmm. And the thing with the powerlifting gyms just seems, <sighs> this is going to come out wrong, right? But it, it seems petty yeah. to me. Is it never about weights, really? Because... It's like, oh, this person didn't give me a shout out when they were doing like fucking. Oh, I remember that. The the top four people to watch for this year's nationals, and then you're like, oh, it's fucking IPF nationals, like Joan. Yeah. That like yeah. it's it sounds so dismissive, but like, at the end of the fucking day, it's IPF nationals, and like, uh, yeah, that's my kind of view on the. If you were looking specifically at powerlifting, like Irish power. I think it's much more valuable rather than it being like, yeah, yeah sorry, Irish powerlifting, rather than it being like fucking uh, Sika against fucking City Gym or City Gym against Abs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think those rivalries aren't that valuable because it, it's not like, it, it's very, very rarely that... Uh, whatever gym it will be will have a team and they'll compete against this other gym yeah. like you might have that at clubs once a year in weightlifting we have that at clubs once a year uh, these are fucking competitions that don't mean anything right they're just for ego they don't count for Europeans qualification they don't count for anything mm-hmm. they're just for ego uh, so I don't I don't see the huge value in barbell sports of those kind of rivalries what I see the value in is you being at your weightlifting club or CrossFit or your powerlifting club or whatever gym it is and you having somebody who's around a similar level or maybe maybe a step up or a step below but who's progressing along at the same rate as you are or maybe uh, doing similar weights or maybe they started at the same time and they're doing different weights. Those kind of intra-gym work, uh, intra-gym uh fucking rivalries they're the things i see value in because they're like like if it's me and you going training at the same gym and we train together four or five times a week or maybe just once a week we train together Mm -hmm. uh, like you see real feedback there rather than it being this fucking annual thing or this thing of like fucking posting on people's stories being like oh the fucking strongest gym in ireland joe like yeah yeah this this doesn't really make any difference it makes the person who owned the gym feel like they have a fucking bigger dick or whatever it is but like at the end of the day this is just kind of uh like ego boosting it it's it's not really something that's beneficial to the progression of the athlete in the long term whereas those kind of training partner rivalries as long as they're not like Obviously, they can get to the stage where they're inhibitory and you see athletes going outside of the program or you see athletes attempting things they shouldn't attempt uh, or you see uh, overuse injuries. All of these things aren't great or like if there's a heightened level of stress for a prolonged period because of some rivalry or because of some incentive method, uh, they're not great. But the like the small bit of like, yeah, fucking... Oh, and fucking PB this his snatch balance last week, and I fucking I need to fucking work on my snatch balance now. You know, mm-hmm. they're the things I think there's huge value in. We should probably do something like that for any seek lifters so they can see what yeah. people are doing. <clears throat> yeah, that'd be great. The leaderboard. If we them. had some like, yeah, like forums would be good, but forums have kind of died a fucking death. And um. 
what a terrible terrible thing that is to be honest because forums were like we obviously have read it now like forums were the only they were the only reason you went on the internet for a long time so some lads might remember oh iron garmex or something oh that was one of them uh there was penley forums i remember the the yeah, the bodybuilding.com forum. They were messy. They were insane. They were the biggest. Yeah. They were definitely the biggest forum for a long time in terms of the fitness world. Yeah, definitely. And there's like, look, there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of like ego stroking went on there. And there was a lot of guys calling other guys out. But uh, there's a huge amount of like very, very valuable information on those. And especially for us, like, yeah, and we Lee were Martin. kids at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we. Hey. Oh, I have no respect uh, for him. No, but like we were, we were basically kids at the time, yeah. um, and you had this huge bank of knowledge, or you had a huge bank of content being put up by people who were very, very knowledgeable in their field. Uh, so, like, we have a lot to thank them for. Um, but they've all the Teen Nation forums actually were there for a long time. Uh, I remember they had a little yeah. bit of a waiting section, but um, yeah, 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 but not much of one though, to be honest. Uh, they T Nation used to be the place for mass gaining programs, and the funny thing was, all the mass gaining programs were written by lads who were on fucking huge amounts of gear. <laughs> you had lads like Dan John being like, "So when you need to figure out how much fish oil you're taking, you keep taking tabs until you shit yourself, and then you take one tab less or two tabs less, something like that." Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like, uh, so you had like the Dan John who was talking about like the the power clean every day or something stupid you know something just random like, yeah. like doing dead bugs every day or something and then you had the lads talking about taking like biotestera extreme fucking 90,000 <laughs> can of Dutch gold fucking serum yeah. while doing like German volume training and stuff and like the one thing T Nation were fantastic at they were better than almost anybody at the time was presenting any argument in some like quasi scientific way so it made you be like Hmm. This is well written, and the argument was yeah. very clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, their their editor in chief was phenomenal. Like he was doing them a legitimate service. Yeah, like they could present German volume training in a way where you're like, "Geez, there, that does make sense." All right, my testosterone would go up. You know, <laughs> it was like, and it, they made it so sexy as well. Like Joe, very sexy. Like, <laughs> like. As as a sixteen year old lad going out to train in his fucking shed, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking smash this ten by ten, Joe. Then I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go home, go and eat my dinner. <laughs> then it's like, then I'm gonna be fucking jacked tomorrow. <laughs> you're like, no, you're gonna you're gonna struggle to get out of bed tomorrow. <laughs> oh, it's something like there was um, they what was I gonna say? Oh, they had. I remember one time they had like uh, talking about like how snatch grip high pulls were from blocks were like the best trap exercise you were never doing and stuff like that like just things like they were just <laughs> absolutely insane um they yeah. were they were I, I have a lot of respect for anyone as well who was on uh, elite fts reading yeah they they didn't have forums but they had they had some actually they had some genuinely great articles really really great stuff yeah. by people who knew a lot about training like if you were if you were any kind of um strength conditioning coach so not weightlifting specific, uh, barely powerlifting specific, but any kind of strength coach. They, there like was a lot of like fucking uh, football coaches on it, track coaches on it. Yeah, they had some, and like some ex-powerlifters like Jim Wendler who were doing, talking about coaching like NFL, and, or not NFL, but like American football and stuff like that. Like so, yeah, I, yeah, I assume yeah. it's all archived. Um, they've actually started up a lot of their kind of media podcast stuff again recently, a lot more active. Really? Yeah, it's quite good. Um I like Dave Tate. He's um, yeah, he's very honest. I suppose he seems like an, a nice guy as well. He obviously knows how to run a business too. Apparently, their equipment is yeah, like bulletproof. Really. So next next question. Uh, this on. one is on our Seeker Strength Instagram. It's if no access to a weightlifting coach, what do you guys recommend do? I know this is really annoying now, but uh, it's just go find the coach. Sorry. That that's like the that's what we'd still recommend doing, like no matter what you have to do. Uh yeah. Pending that, what should I do, Fitz? Uh I think the first thing you should do is actually just start trying some of the movements. Uh what I'd I'd like we, we ha- like this is beating a dead cat, right? But it's uh or flogging a dead horse. Like we always say 
you need to do a snatch if you want to get better at snatching but like that's that's literally what you need to do if you don't have a coach or you can't afford to get coached by someone what i do is watch every single video you possibly can and then get a broomstick get a light barbell get a fucking just metal bar that you'd put like dumbbell weights on the end of and then you start snatching and then analyze yourself look at the video of what you're doing you don't need to be a fucking expert coach to look at your video and look at the video of uh i don't know some good lifter and say oh this this thing is very different my back is rounded at the bottom my hips are too low before i pick the bar off the floor my elbows are bending too early and then you just go and practice more and practice more and practice more at the start, it should be very much a qualitative analysis kind of uh, view of things. So you're you're not looking for weight. You're not looking for speed. You're not looking for acceleration. You're not looking for the amount of reps. Certainly not looking for the amount of sets. You're not looking at any of that. You're looking at the quality of the movement. Then once the quality of the movement gets to a certain uh, level, so like a perfect technique every single time, then you should look at just getting to like a prerequisite weight. So for an adult male that might be a 40 kilo snatch, you should be able to snatch 40 kilos the same as you will snatch an empty bar. And that technique should look absolutely perfect. If that technique looks absolutely perfect, you can start looking at things like increasing the speed of the lift. So rather than it being a slow pull off the floor and then snap overhead, control, squat all the way up, it should be slightly faster off the floor then it should be slightly faster off the floor and then the speed should increase as it gets to your hip. Then fast off the floor, increasing speed as it gets to your hip and then you're dropping under the bar after full extension. Like all these things are just slow steps but always focusing on the quality of the movement and the technique first. Then starting to add in speed. Then after you add in some speed, you add acceleration at certain points in the lift and then you can start looking at weight after that. I should probably give a little bit more explanation why finding a coach for weightlifting in particular is very important so the the learning curve in the lifts lifts is very steep and it stays steep for a long time it stays steep for a lot of your career like it's it's very very high um i was trying to think of other sports that in comparability to like how difficult weightlifting can be but in terms of you probably would try starting like sprinting by yourself or soccer but you wouldn't go do something like deep deep sea diving without a coach or mountaineering like or gymnastics or gymnastics it's uh i think social media has given a little bit of um a gateway for a lot of uh, probably a bigger gateway crossfit twos give a lot more of a gateway for people to try weightlifting and yeah and kind of uh, make it seem a little bit more accessible than it is weightlifting is a very very serious sport and not to be a gatekeeper yeah. obviously this is why we're doing stuff so we can give people as much information on everything we can but it's very important to appreciate how difficult the sport weightlifting is and how difficult it can be to learn and how long it takes people to become a good coach, let alone become a good lifter. So figuring yourself out yourself yeah. is 100%. It's very possible. But ultimately, getting a coach is the priority if you're trying to start weightlifting. And I'm not saying that has to be us. Um, realistically, we're not the best people to help you start weightlifting. If you've never done any kind of weightlifting before, you need to go find someone, yeah. hopefully in person, realistically learning the lifts online from any coach is very very difficult it's it's absolutely 100 percent better than none but realistically you yeah. need someone so there with i think you. yeah that's what i was about to say i think like even if it's your buddy and your buddy has done some weightlifting or when they were a teenager they did weightlifting for two or three years that's going to be more valuable than what we can impart onto you but if after six and months and then i think like yeah, like after six months, then we can start like tweaking things. Once you've actually kind of steadied up that motor pattern in your brain, so it's not just something that you're having to kind of relearn every time. Or so, like in motor pattern learning or in most learning, there's there's three different stages. So you have declarative, uh, you have associative, and then you have autonomic. So declarative would be. Uh, like you're literally declaring everything before you do it so i'm walking up to the bear i'm going to pull the bear i'm going to keep my back flat i'm going to extend it to top extend it to top i'm going to pull my elbows high i'm going to get the bear overhead i'm going to catch it in a slight squat my feet will have moved out to the side and you go through 
each of those phases like declaring them so if we like put it parallel to somebody learning how to drive a car uh they pull out the clutch slowly then they accelerate then they look and make sure they're going in the right direction when they go to change gear they clutch then they change gear then they release the clutch then they accelerate the second phase of of uh kind of learning would be associative so you associate things with other things so uh I tighten my back I pull off the floor and extend and you've kind of skipped and you've joined four or five of those things together so like that's like clustering of different cues together if you looked at that for the example of someone driving a car that would be uh, clutch and change gear accelerate and you you clump things together and then that what was eight things now becomes two things or what was uh, ten things now becomes three things so it becomes faster but you're still in like a an associative thing so you clutch and change gear but you're not just accelerating the car the whole time autonomic then would be i'm going to go from a to b in a car as fast as possible so i'm stopped at the lights the lights go green i go first second third fourth i don't think about anything it just automatically happens in front of me so i think if you're still at the declarative stage of learning with the snatch and the clean and jerk so if you're thinking the snatch is the one where it goes from my head or from the floor to over my head in one go uh, I use a wide grip for the snatch I should be moving my feet I should be catching it deep in a squat if you're still at that stage you're going to get so much more from just like somebody standing next to you being like your back isn't straight your elbows are bending early you'll get so much more from them whereas if it's at like an associative stage being like uh, when when I pull on the bar, I need to extend all the way up and get my head as high as possible. If you're at that stage of learning, then you can probably get a lot of value from like an online base coach. Just one final point on that. I think it can be easy to mistake the lifts for the, the sport of weightlifting. It can be easy to mistake a bicep curl is a, the equivalent of a snatch. They're just simple movements. They're just movements you do in the gym. You do one or the other when the time kind of feels like it. But when you you the snatch and the clean and jerk are like whole almost like philosophies in themselves they're a whole different world they're like they're not even related to single joint exercises or other lifts you might do in the gym even if they compare to powerlifting the learning curve for powerlifting is very shallow you could learn all three lifts in a good day now you might spend a couple yeah. of years perfecting them but like you could you could learn how to snatch clean and jerk you could figure out what the movement is in a day but then it could genuinely take you 10 years if not more, to truly like master those lifts, if ever you manage to master them. Yeah. So it it's hard from the outside looking in, looking at the snatch and the clean and jerk and wondering, is it really important? Do I need a coach? But when you start getting e- deep into those two lifts, you'll figure out what Fitz is talking about, how much talk goes into those. Like I've been lifting for uh, about eight and a half years now and every time like Gabriel says technique always advances and it just never stops it's never it's adapting them is similar to kind of adapting new religion in your life if you're committed to them in that regard there's so much to them and it involves so much so I give them the respect they deserve and if you can find a coach obviously we're always here to ask questions as well just to as you know because you've just asked the question I think like if I was to finish up on that point I'd probably say that like that's that's the really difficult thing about the lifts right there they take a huge amount of time they take a huge amount of cognitive load they take a huge amount of training load they take reps upon reps upon reps to get right even when you get them right you stop doing them for a few weeks and then they're fucking gone again and it'll take ages to relearn that Uh, they take huge amounts of physical attributes like speed strength flexibility balance all these things but that's also the beauty of them. So if you're somebody who goes to the gym two or three times a week, you want, like, you're sick of just fucking squatting and doing dumbbell curls and bench pressing and you want some sort of a challenge. Like, the snatch especially, and the clean and jerk, but the snatch especially offers a, a challenge that you don't get from the other lifts. The other lifts, you do them at whatever weight and then you get tired and then you stop. Or you do them at whatever speed or power output you do it as best you can and then you stop whereas the snatch you could do hundreds of times in a session at a very very lightweight you're learning something new 
you're challenging different physical attributes like very rarely unless you're squatting or something do you challenge your uh, flexibility and mobility as well as your balance as well as your strength like all these things get challenged in a different way so I think for the person who doesn't have a coach doesn't have a kind of huge knowledge about the lifts or a huge knowledge just about training I think the snatch does offer something something worth going after if you get what I mean moving on we have <laughs> it's proven that placebo exists but what about the opposite like if someone was over skeptical so that's called a nocebo is it nocebo <coughs> it is a nocebo isn't it is that what they call it give me a second I have we no can, idea we can edit this out in a second you can edit this out right <laughs> it's gone um yeah, that's it. Yeah, no SIBO. Somebody, somebody fucking messaged me a few weeks ago yeah. being like, in in this podcast, Owen said, edit it out or something like that. And then, so did you edit something out? Oh, like, really? Oh, that, my fucking God. People get very yeah. upset about that. You know, when Joe Rogan stopped doing uh, live commentary or whatever, or live uh, podcast, yeah. people were, they were very, very aggressive. So the no SIBO is the thing. It's, it's, like, it's documented. Like, so if you're like, Oh, the side effects of, uh, so, uh, if you, all right, let's say you, you know, when you get a medicine, right? And you get the big sheet with it and you see all the side effects and it'll say yeah. like one in 10,000 or whatever. Right. So something yeah, people yeah, don't yeah. actually know is when you're doing the clinical trials with that, and they may take up to like 10 years or more, who knows how long it takes and like hundreds of millions to, to get these drugs to the market. And so you have to, during yeah. certain phases of the trials, you have to monitor people, of course, when they're taking the drug, when you get to like phase uh, late two or three. And when people are taking those, let's say I'm taking Fitz has brought out a, a new uh, headache drug, right? And uh, it's yeah. very clear what the mode of action is. It's uh, very similar to something else in the market. So you know what the side effects are and there's very li- unlikely to be any other adverse side effects by the ones that are noted. But let's say I get a rash on my asshole, right? and i'm taking the drug during the trial so any symptoms i experience no matter what they are basically they have to go down on that sheet of paper at the end of the day when the results even if you know for a fact that i jumped into a bunch of nettles they still have to get on that so if i give you so if i give you a drug fits and i'm like oh this is going to give you a rash on your asshole there's a chance that people (laughs) will get that you know or they'll be like she's it's it's kind of a nocebo is like the coronavirus now and i'm uh, sorry for saying that word but a lot of people are like is my throat a bit uh it's a bit itchy is it yeah is yeah, that yeah. a little bit am i getting it like so this may be something you experience every single day of your life you may not even notice it but all of a sudden yeah. you're like a bit phlegmy man. is it a little bit cough or when someone else coughs you're <clears throat> so the nocebo is, yeah. is, is fairly well documented it's probably more powerful if anything than the placebo at some points because people are usually a lot more susceptible to negative emotion uh so it's not just with drugs obviously so you can you'll, you can give someone a saline injection and be like oh this is gonna make you feel terrible and a lot of times people will feel terrible so it's it's very similar it's basically it, obviously the name suggests it's just like a placebo effect but with negative outcomes so you're yeah or or with no effect i think it actually happens in training a lot yeah where uh someone will get something like uh okay so someone is like flopping into the bottom of their squats so then for four weeks their coach is like oh look let's just try doing pause squats or they say uh like uh maybe do some pause squats like you know they don't really sell the idea and then when the person is doing the pause squats they're they're not half-assing them they still do them they still do the full sets and reps but they're like fucking doing pause squats again and I really wanted to do my normal squats yeah. and I'm back doing pause squats and they feel like a noob again or whatever uh and then obviously you don't get the same training effect from that right that makes all the sense in the world you don't give it the respect or the time or probably the recovery time in between or you do all sets in the course of five minutes rather than taking 15 minutes to do them with proper rest in between like i think it happens in training all the time i i feel it happening for myself when i'm like fuck's sake yeah just this is going to make no difference to my total like joe yeah there's a fine line between whatever lift you've chosen being a nocebo or a placebo you know sometimes it can happen yeah. as well if uh you're training with your buddy and uh he's like oh jesus you know my shoulder's feeling a bit sore i hasn't felt sore before and then yeah like, my, my shoulder's a bit sore isn't it 
I feel a bit sore to you, Fitz. Yeah. You know, that can never easily happen. And that has happened to people. Uh, it's just your knees. Or sore. when you walk into training, you're like, oh, geez, my knees. My knees are a bit fucking warm today. And they're like, well, my knees were not warm too. Yeah. And then the more you talk about it, you're like, mm, yeah, geez, my knees are a bit sore. Like it, it happens to you all the time. <laughs> um, There also was like, you could be, let's say we're talking Paul squats again. And you go, yeah. you're in a club and everyone's in the club program and you're like, Dara, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Paul squats do anything to training. I don't think they're useful. I think they're actually like, let's say the, the club coach is called Timmy. Yeah. I think Timmy doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know why he's doing those. And you may have totally believed in the Paul squats up until this point. But then me, after me saying, yeah. you know, I just think they do nothing. I saw lads <laughs> on the other club doing uh, regular squats and they're getting way better. So then you immediately yeah. like, these Paul squats are going to do nothing for my training. The sets all of a sudden start feeling a lot harder. You feel it feels heavier when you're on. Or you just don't put the right weight on. You, you yeah. don't even you don't even want to do them. Like that's how this is getting. You know, so very easily a nocebo can affect. I think a lot more in training than you would think of yeah. placebos. Right? It's not often placebos get worked very well in training environments, but things like yeah, the nocebo. I, the nocebo the effect definitely happens a lot more. Example training. of this, yeah. At by far the most obvious example was uh so joe we used to do a load of um just like prolonged hangs off a bar yeah in bandon before we did them for like a a kind of a fucking mesocycle or whatever or no maybe a microcycle like we did them for like three or four months yeah uh and you'd have so in the class like you obviously have people who people deem to be more experienced or might be more kind of charismatic or might be better at training or they've been there for longer and or the, the other people there haven't been there for too long and then suddenly you have like somebody in the class who has an air of authority about them or you might have one or two of these people in a class if you go to a crossfit class or a strength and conditioning class you've all experienced this in some way or another uh so i remember specifically one of the classes in the evening and it would be two of the lads and they'd be like fucking hangs like why aren't we doing kip and pull-ups again like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking hangs and every like a 30 second hang and they drop down after like 15 seconds and they go chalk their hands and then they like might hop up for the last three seconds you know like shit like that and then other people feel it's all right to drop off like these things happen all the time when we train in groups or we train in gyms where other people are doing similar activities uh so it is something to watch out for It's kind of like the the observer effect, I think, when you just, the fact that you mention something ha- potentially happening, yeah, people will kind of end up... Or the Hawthorne effect. What's the Hawthorne effect? So, as far as I know, the Hawthorne effect is, uh, so as long as you're seen to be doing something, so like they'd go and change all the light bulbs in a factory, just look it up there and make sure I'm correct, but... Uh, they go and change all the light bulbs in a factory and say oh we're we're changing these because uh just to see if they have an effect on productivity and then you have all the productivity increases in in the factory or whatever like that's like the original one i think it was like hawthorne was doing a study on productivity and they just changed they didn't even change the light bulbs they just got a tech to go around screw them out and put the same light bulb back in oh it's um and then you have this what it's saying here is... Or is that the Rosenthal effect? The Hawthorne effect sounds like you tell someone they're being observed and then the change is the course of the... So basically, like the observer effect for people. Yeah, it must be It must be the Rosenthal effect. So the Hawthorne effect, so is the, is the observer effect. Yeah, the alteration of behavior by subjects of a study due to awareness of being observed. The Hawthorne effect sounds yeah, kind of yeah. similar to having a coach in training as opposed to yeah. or knowing someone's going to view your videos as opposed to knowing no, one, so no one's ever going to see them. Yeah. Uh, so next question is how often should you text maxes in weightlifting if no time no plans to compete anytime soon so if you're in a preparatory phase or a gpp phase or just a high volume phase not at all really is when you should be testing those um a lot of times for weightlifter they won't be too often throughout the year probably account for less than definitely 12 total weeks of the year much less for most people probably a total of eight weeks because people don't really like doing them uh in general though if you're in a peaked phase or kind of a, a max strength phases uh you could potentially if you're a later to intermediate lifter 
say four to five years plus you could be looking at testing your maxes or getting close to maxes once a month so going plus 90 percent uh after that five years plus you're looking at something along the lines of uh maybe for a period of the year maybe every two to three weeks depending on how advanced you're getting how serious you are about weightlifting how yeah how I, th- I think Go i on. think for the majority of people here are yeah a year two years or three years into lifting and i think if if you're any of those um or unless you're supremely talented mm-hmm. i think it's it's probably four months in between max balls to the wall testing i actually and think the biggest thing here is like yeah. it's like testing like uh, testing is completely the wrong word if you if you take my opinion on it and i think you're very much the same it's like testing shouldn't be you going to the gym and being like ah oh, Let's see what I get today. Testing is you going to the gym being like, oh, I've hit all these lifts mm-hmm. up to 90% for the last four weeks. And now I'm going to see what uh, five kilos more feels like. Validating. It's not even testing. It's validating. Yeah, validating is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think if you if we were to go here today and say, look, oh, every two or three weeks, if you're anyway experienced, then you've got all these fucking people who are snatching 100 kilos testing every two or three weeks and making no progress. I um I actually think beginners, so less than a year, maybe a year and a half probably, should end up testing their maxes a lot more often. And for a beginner, it would be called testing because you're basically trying to figure out... Yeah, you've no idea. Like, yeah. What are your maxes? What are your limits? What are your limits right now? Things feel different so frequently that you need to touch heavy weights to essentially figure out a way of what, what do those weights feel like. And things change so often and hopefully you're progressing fast enough in your first year and a half that you end up that you do need to after a certain period of time though pbs won't just come weeks in a row or sessions in a row you'll have to put a lot more work in to get the results and if you put a try to get the results too early if you try max too early or validate your results too early you end up ruining your work and uh, shoot yourself in the foot basically so there's a period between maybe two to like up to potentially five to six years where you've gotta be very careful about when you go for your maxes now that doesn't mean you can't go for your maxes frequently it just needs to be you need to be very very smart about when you're doing that and then after that then yeah thing weightlifting kind of changes sport almost it becomes a lot um it becomes a different kind of uh, it's it's like a different sport almost it's evolved to a different kind of environment when you get beyond six to seven years it's um you're a lot more intuitive of your own maxes too so it's a lot harder to say if I do this and this, I'll end up with this result. But at the same time, you'll also have the ability to say, if I do this and this, usually my maxes get closer or my technique gets better. So it's kind of a push-pull yeah. game. Uh, ultimately, though, hopefully you have a good coach or you're following a good program and you're able to figure out when it's the time to max and when it's the test. Um, I suppose if we continue along this chain of events too, weightlifting program is ultimately all about making attempts above 90% plus because they're the most valuable but they're also the most taxing mentally and physically and most injury prone because they're the heaviest weights yeah I think the the most important word of that whole last five minutes is making attempts above 90% like there's absolutely no value in you missing a lift four or five times there's no value in it at all you just Zero. get fucking good at missing lifts if, n- yeah. if anything it's negative so like, value it's malproductive. Yeah, like testing, testing isn't you fucking seeing how many times you can slap something off your hip and attempt to snatch it. Like testing is, uh, oh, I, d- I didn't miss any lifts and I went to 98% instead of 95%. All right, next question. Apparently somebody I work with sent in a question. Oh, about yeah. back care chairs what's your favorite back care chair if it's um we're not answering that um it's the uh the rh logic 400 it's a great back care chair disgust me can <laughs> push press benefit strict press so if you look at this superficially i would say the answer is no if you get in a little bit deeper you might think maybe yes because you might be overloading the top but then when you get really down to it it doesn't um so the push press is essentially <laughs> I just answered the chain of events there before we got. Um, <laughs> so the push press is all legs, really. So when you, if you're using push press for weightlifting, uh, I don't think you should be using weights 
as the indicator of how you sure you're moving your what kind of sets and reps you're doing and what weight you're using i think ultimately push press is about speed so you just need a good dip and drive and extending fast okay so push press for weightlifting if you're doing push press correctly you should be grinding them out so at no point are you putting a large force through the end of your muscles so your triceps or whatever so it's not really going to benefit your stick press if you're doing them correctly for weightlifting and if anyone isn't doing weightlifting they're doing push presses chances are they're doing them pretty terribly anyway so i wouldn't be using them um ultimately as we know with pressing more pressing is better for pressing i would say it's a fair <laughs> way to answer that people have an obsession with doing other things to make other things better yeah it's um i understand it like i can get it because y- I, I, you I do understand thinking, it, but it's it's not right. You can default to thinking, well, if I do too much of this, surely I'll under-recover, or I'll get injured, or it won't get better if I just do it. But that is sometimes not the case. This is the problem is it's kind of pattern recognition in coaching, and it's uh, it takes a long time to learn things, and you're not even sure if you know what they are, really, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> is it better to do uh, Cossack squats? Do you say Cossack or Cossack? Cossack. All right. Back rack, barbell, or goblet weight in front. Uh, I like to hold a heavy dumbbell if it's po- at all possible for Cossack squats. Uh, I think the. Are they saying by like heels raised? No, so they're saying you're doing Cossack squats. Should you do them with uh, a bar on your back or a goblet weight in front? So I personally think a oh, weight in yeah. front is. I think the bars yeah, become something that changes kind of the dynamic a little bit. I think the whole point of Cossack squats is that you have more quad development. Yeah. Um, great exercise and there's no point in putting more, yeah there's no point in putting more weight back further onto your heels I definitely think a weight out in front the other thing the advantage of it is like Cossack squats you can get really 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 deep into the squat yeah and then if you have your kettlebell out in front it allows you to counterbalance a bit more and get even deeper whereas when it's on your back you don't really have the same uh, margin for error you can't move the bar around on your back is excessive scrape marks on the upper thigh common for cleans? Yep. Um, should you if aim? If you look at any of Garf's pants, all of them have <laughs> holes in them on the upper thigh. One more so than the other. What I'd say is like, <laughs> what I'd say, yeah, yeah, like if you have, if you have, um, if you scrape marks or like anything like that on your lower thigh, then there's an issue. You're making contact too early. Yeah. Are you making too much or too aggressive contact too early on the lift? Uh, but if they're upper thigh, like upper third of the thigh, you're grand. Should you aim to be a true weightlifter and use no equipment? Example, knee sleeves. Um, this is something I have actually thought about a lot over the years. So there is, on the surface, the answer to this is just do whatever you want, right? But... And if we were on the video, if we were recording the video fits, I'd be like, yeah, just do whatever, whatever feels better. But there's actually a lot more to this. And I think there's potentially more to the question than uh, you, as you would think at first thought, right? So if we look at, if we take like a little sample group of all the elite weightlifters, right? All some of the best ones you can imagine. So name out a few great weightlifters. Name a few. Uh, Pyrrhus Demas. Right. He didn't wear knee sleeves. Um, Illy Illin. He did wear knee wraps. Lou Zhejun. It didn't. So he wears those fucking tissue papers. So they don't even count really, do they? So uh, you could look at this from like a... Go on. Yeah, there's no point. Yeah. You could look at this from like a biomechanical perspective, right? Say on the snatch. Ultimately, the goal of the snatch is to pull weights as low as possible, just so I know for you to get under. So if you look at it from like on the piece of paper, what is the goal of the snatch? It's to pull weights to the minimum required height. So there's no point over pulling. Um, yeah. Obviously, underpulling. Well, like, yeah, if you can over, if you can overpull something, yeah. then you just put more weight on the bar. So we're all we're all in agreement that that's the goal of the snatch is to pull it to the minimum required height because the lower you can pull weights and still get under, the heavier weights you can do because every weights are harder to pull higher. So you can pull those to the minimum height. Okay. So if you have thick knee sleeves on, you would imagine you've limited your potential to get lower under the bar. So if you're wearing knee sleeves, the potential is there for millimeters less, and that may transfer over to a smaller snatch, if you want to look at it like that. You could also talk about uh, thicker knee sleeve means the bar can't be as close to you physically. 
it may yeah. be that um, you may have altered your kind of movement patterns due to some kind of proprioception. For example, if you stick knee sleeves on, you may not be able to control your knees as much as you would be. They may not be free to move to where you need them to. Yeah. And finally, my last point. My but the real thing is, Gar, uh, 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 the uh, real uh, thing uh, is. Uh, uh, I have one more now. Sorry, no. <sighs> sir, sir, sir please. Uh, finally, you could argue <laughs> that because weights you're squatting, for example, if you're taking the front squat, they are harder. You're getting more for less out of heavy or less heavy weights. You're getting more out of lighter weights. But I really don't think it makes or breaks anyone. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, ultimately, oh, like if you look at so this came from Gabriel had a post yesterday. That someone asked him what his uh, who his favorite weightlifter was, and he said name Sully and named yeah. him wearing knee sleeves. I saw the post. Yeah, yeah. I felt viciously attacked to be honest. Um, no, I suppose I. It's a kind of an in spite of or because of, and realistically, it's it's just, it's in in spite of, but not really. They're not going to be a lot better if they did wear them. My view on this is, yep. this is the same thing that, like, some people like uh, BMWs. They sure do. Some people like Toyotas. They do. Some people like. Uh, fucking opals no one likes opals it's this makes no real difference to you getting from a to b not a huge difference if you're someone who does a lot of off-roading you might need a 4x4 if you're somebody who does a lot of long distance driving you might get a diesel because it's cheaper but realistically you get into a car you get from a to b and the main thing you do in the car is getting from a to b some cars are quieter some cars are noisier some cars look better some cars look worse this is like wearing knee sleeves or wearing a belt and weightlifting. Do whatever the fuck you want. Get from A to B. Have good technique. And I don't really care beyond that. Some of us thought about it more than others. That's that. Um, no, it's... A, it, I've thought about it. No, I know. I just don't give a shit. I uh, actually <laughs> took them off yesterday just because randomly I like to change things just to see. Because uh, I was noticing my bottom position was a little bit... You know, I was kind of saying to you there was a bit... Uh, it looked a bit like yeah. tight or tighter. I remember you saying that. Yeah, and not in a good way. Not tight as in like Jesus. He's really he's in a great position. It was like mm, that doesn't look as smooth as it could be. Potentially. Explain tight in a good way, Owen. <laughs> uh, wait, no. So I took him off yesterday to see, and uh, it was definitely better on the snatch. Uh, like I could get under the bar a lot, not faster, but a lot smoother. So when you're so there's a potential yeah. there, I suppose when you're. Uh, amortizing so you're just getting under the squat and the bar is that the tighter knee sleeves would in theory make it a little bit slower for you to relax faster because they're resisting the movement downwards which is one of the reasons they help you so getting under the bar um faster is counterproductive to wearing knee sleeves uh obviously i'm never going to have an yeah. issue with standing up from a snatch or anything really and i don't yeah. think it makes that much of a difference in the pull I feel it's, it definitely felt better last night. But interestingly, I've tried this a lot before, not wearing these sleeves over the last few years, and it hasn't felt better. But I feel like finally yeah. my technique has progressed to a point where it has felt better because I have better control over the lift. So things change all the time. You're never a stagnant lifter, and you're ne- you're not always progressing too as well. That's kind of an important kind of note with that one. You'd be a great politician. Never give me a straight answer. <laughs> yeah, but you can have a good podcast without, if you give straight answers. This has been over an hour ago, if that Look, was other You're words. dead right. Yeah. Um... We're actually over an hour now at this stage. One thing I would say is be careful of equipment covering up injuries. And this thing we always say, but it's important to raise it just in case someone hasn't heard us say it before. But yeah. if you, a piece of equipment covers up an injury for you, then that's going to be a bigger issue down the line. So definitely don't use equipment for that one. And Gabriel is hyper. I think the other thing is, yeah, yeah like the other thing is, is if equipment uh, covers up a fucking huge deficit you have. Mm-hmm. So if you're very immobile in your shoulders yeah. or you've really tight lats and you can't get a bear perfectly overhead mm-hmm. or like even in a good position overhead and then you just kick your wrist back and you wear wrist wraps, that's you just covering up an inadequacy with a piece of equipment. Or if you have a very, very core, or weak core um, and in squats your back tends around, you strap a belt on and then you're grand, like that's just covering up another inadequacy. Also, the mind Gabriel, because he wears tissue paper around his wrist and he's lifting, and he wore a belt at the Olympics. All and he's been the lifting. time, he's been he's been lifting for twenty four years at this stage. So, yeah, the mind. Every time you go training with him, he takes out a little bit of toilet paper and wraps it around his wrist. Before, what is that going to do? Like it's like a piece of gauze. 
He seems to like it. Um, yes. Someone, oh, uh, always answered me, but others should know best jerk substitute while in isolation. So I would say if you have. Oh, I've got a good one on this. So I'm going to say handstand push-ups. Well, for your lockout, it would be a good one. I'm going to say handstands. Yeah. Full stop. Handstands, full stop. Yeah. Like Anything that. to do with handstands. Both summers I was. Uh, so for two summers when I was younger, I was out of the country for like three or four months each time. Um, one of them I had access to a barbell, but the other I didn't. Both times I came back with a much, much stronger uh, split jerk purely because I used to do shitloads of handstands. Handstands on the beach, handstands fucking walking down the road, doing them everywhere and anywhere. You get a really, really strong lockout and you get really good kind of muscular coordination um, and core engagement. And it's just good to be able to do a handstand, to be honest. It's fucking class. If you have, um, if for some reason you have a bar and plates, but you can't do split jerks, I would do some kind of seated press will help a little bit. Uh, potentially do some push press if that's at all possible in that random scenario. And other than that, I would potentially or depending look depending on... Go on. Depending on how much weight you had. Yeah. Maybe if you just had an empty bar, I'd do something like a javelin press. So, like, obviously this is very different for everyone, but if you're somebody who struggles with stability overhead... Uh, the strength of your lockout, your ability to hold the bar as you bring your feet back together, definitely like building just shoulder and elbow stability will help a lot. I would also say potentially look at doing depth jumps, but come at them sideways from a segue from a distance downwind very cautiously, very, very slowly from a tiny little height. All right. Very, very slowly. Super slowly. So slowly you don't even know what's there anymore. That's all right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, guys. Uh, that's the end of that Q&A. Thanks for listening.